Welcome to the Rockcast. I'm your host this week, Ryan Avery. Today on the show, I have Larry Bartlett from Pristine Adventures, and I have Dr. Robert Coker. Guys, welcome to the show. Hey, hey. Uh, hey most... Ryan, please call me Robert. That's fine. Robert? Not Okay. Yeah. Robert. Got it. Most everybody knows Larry Bartlett from Pristine Adventures. Um, most everybody knows him from Tag Bags and Dragon Rafts all across Alaska. Larry, yeah, yeah. what's the uh, what's the general uh, consensus on Pristine Adventures? I, I hear from you, I don't hear from you, then I hear from you again. Where are you yeah. at with tag bags? Where are you? At? Are you still doing the the hunt planning thing? Where are you at with that? Yeah, Pristine Adventures is still rocking. Uh, this you haven't heard. I mean, I've been kind of in in the shadows a lot this year because um, I was involved in a project through the University of Montana to um, design a personal sled kit both collapsible and foldable for the 11th airborne group hmm. and we've been you know all year we've been designing and producing prototypes for testing uh this spring we went to finland uh you know the university of montana myself and another group that uh got the funding for that grant and uh checked out the operations in finland arctic forge 23 where they tested i don't know 132 sled kits so the inventory uh put them through the riggers and now we're at a <laughs> we're at a position now where we're just waiting for more feedback before we continue to uh, sharpen that design so that's an ongoing uh i don't know two or three year process don't you think dr coker you guys will be handling the human performance side of the testing when that when that time gets near yeah it had the whole uh problems that hatched out of the army research lab or dev devcom and so they came to us with this problem of limited Arctic maneuverability and paratroopers and said, you know, not only is maneuverability a problem, but injury risk is pretty high because they're post holing with these 90, 100 pound packs. What can you do about it? And I just pulled up a YouTube video of Bartlett dragging <laughs> meat with a sled and said, what do you think about this? And so through 14 different uh, rapid iterative uh, prototype um uh, develop a, a rapid process of prototype iteration um uh we 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 continually not only provided the prototypes but we got feedback from user groups to inform the next next steps and so you know this took place over gosh six eight month period something like that and we visited with numerous uh, groups throughout the military the montana national guard um, as Larry mentioned, 11th Airborne Group, 10th Special Forces Group out of Colorado. Um, and so it's, it seems to have been, you know, a, a, a success. But like Larry said, we're kind of waiting, you know, how government stuff works. It's not mm -hmm. exactly that fast. But uh, everybody was very pleased with, with what we were able to provide. And now the next step, as Larry mentioned, is some performance testing that we'll do here at the University of Montana. Um, and, you know, I, I, I moved down here in January of last year. Um, and so that's where that, you know, that kind of collaboration took root. As being a former 11 Bravo, I'm glad to see they're actually doing some research. So yeah, no doubt. Instead of just strapping shit to us and telling us to walk. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And Larry, that's so true. And Larry, Larry helped me with this course while I was still at UAF or, I was a faculty member at University of Alaska Fairbanks um, called Hacking for Defense. And it's really a, a process of uh, beneficiary discovery. And just basically what that means is talking to the servicemen and women instead of just giving them a widget and say, hey, use this. Uh, you find out what they need and then you provide something close to that and then you give it to them and get ready for their constructive comments. And you go through this process of, like I said, iterative development and I think, quite frankly, Ron, you touched on a really important point, and that is listening to the listening to the servicemen and women, not just getting a problem and trying to throw it in their throw the solution in their face. Robert, before we go too far, everybody pretty much pretty much knows Larry's background. Can you kind of give a synopsis of your background? Sure. I'm uh, grew up in Georgia. I was born in Atlanta, raised on the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, Ron and Bartlett and I were kind of chatting offline a little bit about that. And that's really where I cut my teeth on 
Uh, we didn't even call it this back in the day, backcountry hunting, but we would hike up and down the Appalachian Trail. And, you know, we largely because we didn't have the money to join a hunting club, so we made our own. And, you know, I remember thinking back then, gosh, this is like the best exercise one could get. And so that led me to an interest or led me to my interest in exercise physiology at a PhD at University of Mississippi. Uh, a couple of research fellowships, one at Vanderbilt University and then one at Copenhagen Muscle Research Center in, in Denmark. And then, you know, I took my first faculty appointment at University of, or University of Arkansas for medical sciences, and I was in the Department of Geriatrics or a clinical department for over 10 years. And then, you know, I always wanted to move to Alaska or always wanted to hunt up there. And one of the best ways to hunt in Alaska is to live there. So got a position at University of Alaska Fairbanks, started a clinical research group there, also started a clinical nutrition company that we licensed those products to a company called the Amino Company now. And really the focus of that effort was on uh, individuals that had like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or emphysema, heart failure, obesity, sarcopenia, or rapid muscle loss with aging. And then so, you know, Larry and I started having conversations largely because me going, oh my gosh, you're the guru of backcountry float dragon. <laughs> Tell me all you know. And so from that, you know, we kind of started discussing some mutual interest, and that was uh, what takes place to the body when you're a 10 or 14-day backcountry hunting trip. And that always been a fascinating question to me, but not high on the list, at least initially, uh, from government funding agencies to find out those answers. Um, and so we just started kind of a grassroots, really just a grassroots research effort. Um, focused on the question of how many cal first, how many calories do you burn during uh, backcountry hunting? And you know that's that's kind of where things got started. And a little bit about my background and a little bit about how we we kind of came in contact and and did those first studies. And then then we started thinking about okay, you know, so many other areas or so many other aspects of the toolkit. Uh, when it comes to backcountry hunting, have advanced over the past 30, 40 years. I've seen that myself as a user, um, except when it comes to food science. I mean, we ate Mountain House back in the you know, early 1990s, and we're still eating it. I don't have anything against it, but we know a lot more in food science than we're necessarily using when it comes to backcountry hunting. So you guys, just, just so the, the listeners understand it, you guys, how did you got, you got, you have a float dragger, you have a raft dragger and you have a PhD researcher. Did you find Larry or did Larry find you? I think I probably found him because I was just, you know, like so many people that moved to Alaska and they're interested in hunting. I know that's just talking, like we've talked about this thing with the 11th airborne, this project, you know, those guys and gals get up there and they're like, Oh my gosh, I can't wait to go fishing and hunting all over the states, you know, and their, their enthusiasm is, is kind of matched with their imagination and they're just like wanting to do everything they possibly can. So I sent Larry an email, you know, and I remember Larry's response is like, okay, well, I'm, uh, yeah, it's, it's great to see all this, uh, all this enthusiasm, but at the what, same time here, let me give you some advice. He said, I want let me, I want to shoot eventually caribou moose you know bear wolf like goat i want it all all on the same trip if possible you know <laughs> like oh oh whoa so like, oh, <laughs> and he said i'll tell you what he said and this is the best piece of advice he gave me and i would i would say this is great advice to anybody and that is you know pick one trip a year mm. if you can and you know set up with you know, do all your, as much research, as much reading as, as it become a student of what you're wanting to do and, and then do that. If it's a sheep hunt, then focus on that for that year. If it's a moose hunt, then focus, you know, but don't try to do everything. And he goes at the end of 10 years, you'll turn around and look back and go, Oh my gosh, wow. I, I was able to do a lot. And, you know, he was exactly right. I'm not just saying that because he's sitting on the call. I mean, that, that was great advice. Okay, before we jump into the minimus nutrition, I want to talk about the the scientific study of backcountry hunting and the why behind it and why who funded it, who started it, where was the seed, where did it come from? Yeah, so I was 
it, <clears throat> Trey and I were just chatting, you know, informally over coffee or wine or something. And I told him that my problem, my industry, or, you know, I, I claim the hunting realm as my industry. Um, but one of the problems that my expeditions have are um, always trying to reduce the load, you know, the footprint, the weight, the bulk of your gear. And with technology, you can go so far. And guess what has not changed in 25 years? You know, it's the food kit. Mm. No matter you, if you're on a 10-day trip, generally that's a 25-pound bag of food, you know. Um, and I told Trey that, man, I would really like to cut that in half. Like how, if I'm going to make a statement in the industry, you've got to do something extraordinary. And if you do it for the first time, it feels really good. But to do something in for the first time in the nutritional world, you got to come out of the, you got to hit something out of the park and, and for good reason. My problem, my goal was to cut my food kit by 50% without losing the nutrient quality that requires me to you know, like perform well and also preserve lean mass. You know, I've got like a 25 BMI, but, um, you know, I've only got like a 10 and a half percent body fat. So the, the more weight that I lose in the field, you know, I come back a little emaciated feeling and uh, I always wanted to know what those limits were. And, and there's just no science out there. So I'm having this conversation with Trey and he says, well, you know, he did some research. He's like, yeah, there's no hunting specific studies and there's really nothing that you know you'd really have to kind of target some studies to that so that led to a conversation of well how much would this cost to to do for through the university of alaska he ran the numbers and gave me the figure and i said man i think we can do this let's you know if i can sponsor this and be involved let's let's make this a, a thing and we'll use my hunt plan groups as uh, participants you know, willing participants. And that's what we did, set up hunt studies around my uh, hunt plan operation and ran everything through uh, UAF. Pretty sweet operation. And it gave us some incredible data. For several years, we, we ran different studies all the way down to the muscle level, you know. And Trey can speak into that, but it's it was an impressive way for us to quantitate the answer of how many calories are we burning how many calories are we deficient? What's happening to our metabolics during that process? Is it a healthy standard? Are we maintaining our lean mass? And what are the thresholds of protein requirement for that to happen? And uh, one or two participants got below that required protein amount, even in a calorie deficient state, and they started to lose a little muscle. Hmm. And we realized that you know, the, uh, the protein intake in your nutrients is very, very important. And that's how we started to think about minimus. Trey, can you, I read your, I tried to read that research paper you have and can you, for the layman, can you boil down how you were measuring that deficiency or where they got deficient? You talked about doubly labeled water. Can you kind of go into that for the layman? Yeah, I'll try to try my best to kind of explain that. And, you know, at the end of the day, Ryan, I'm just a country boy that got, you know, went off and got an education, you know, and, you know, so these things are not necess were not necessarily easy for me to learn along the way. <laughs> um, but, you know, basically what we do in our research center is we use stable isotopes to trace metabolism. OK, kind of like the, the analysis or the, anal the analogy would be a tracer bullet. If you can follow a, a tracer bullet downrange, you kind of know where things are going. Well, when it came to the measurement of total energy expenditure, you know, people say, well, why didn't you just wear a watch or a Fitbit or whatever? Well, a Fitbit doesn't capture load carriage. It doesn't capture, you know, changes. And, you know, when you're carrying a moose quarter and then when you're paddling a raft, it doesn't it doesn't really compute for that. The algorithms are not in those and those devices are not set up for it. On the other hand. W label water is really the gold standard when it comes to measuring energy expenditure. And we've used that method across a, a wide range of cohorts, including wildland firefighters. And the the hey, basic fun yeah. So, you know, it might help to understand that it's just like a it's a little shot of water that's got yeah. some some radioisotopes in there that are not toxic to the body, but they're easy to trace when you, you know, when you uh, run an analysis through you can follow that 
that uh, radioactive material, so to speak, all the way through the oh, trace. Correct you quickly, Larry. It's not radioactive. It's stable. Okay. So that right. doesn't. Sorry about sorry. that, but doesn't doesn't pose any unnecessary health risk. And so doubly label comes from the the water that Larry's talking about. It has a hydro, an extra hydrogen label and an extra oxygen label. The hydrogen label comes off in the urine exactly the same regardless of what you're doing whether you're sitting on the couch or whether you're you know running the boston marathon it doesn't care it comes off exactly the same rate the oxygen label comes off directly proportional to or comes off more quickly proportional to the amount of energy expenditure because you lose some of that oxygen in co2 right and so the more active you are you lose it in carbon dioxide the more more active you are the more co2 you're blowing off the more label you're losing and so the more quickly that uh, oxygen label is being r reduced, you know that the energy expenditure is higher and there's algorithms to calculate that very precisely. So hopefully that makes some sense. The hydrogen, exactly the same, serves as a control. The oxygen, depending upon how quickly it comes off, that tells you or informs you of what the energy expenditure is, is going to be. And it's like I say, it's exceptionally accurate. Okay, can you kind of go through, because we keep pushing to the minimus thing. I was trying to stay in the study, but we'll come back to that. Can you go through the three products you have and how, what is their use? Like, how do you use them? LB? Well, I used, I used them. My target was a 50% reduction in my weight. So I was at that time, it was a 25-pound food kit, uh, 28 pounds if I added a little wine. Uh, just for the calories at least so 20 let's use it you know call it 30 pounds i wanted to get down to 15 pounds using minimus and what that required based on the the amino acid formula um, i use almost exclusively stop worrying about calories and focus on my minimum protein requirements for the day and i was able to to get my food kit down to six the first year 16 ounces of food weight basically um, everything that you would normally take to the field, just less of it. Instead of two handfuls of nuts, maybe one handful of nut, no meat, no cheese, and then add minimus three times a day. And we came up with the flavors of three that you could use complimentary three times a day just to have a cocoa in the morning. Everyone can kind of relate to a warm cocoa, right? Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. that's a good way to get, you know, six grams of amino acids running through your system um, that are instantized and that for you require less food bulk and intact proteins. Um, and that weight savings just allowed me to, to realize that I could still operate on a, on a typical float drag with 2,300 calories a day and not lose lean mass and only lose, you know, four to five and a half, six pounds over a 10 or 11 day period of body weight. So unlike, so they, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So the Mater dust, I like just because you can use bouillon, mix it with that or a, a simple ramen packet and you're supercharging what you're getting in the, the fat carbohydrates of a, of a ramen packet, but you're getting the nutrients as well. And then if you look at the ingredients, if memory serves, each packet gives you about a 33% of your daily requirement of nutrients and vitamins in that realm. So three packets a day would give you 100%. It would be like you know, taking a multivitamin and a, some sort of uh, mineral blast because you're getting all the minerals as well, which is difficult to get in the field on our field diet. And of course, the potatoes, you can eat that morning, noon, and night, and it fits with any meal. So that's kind of how we settled on the flavors. Yeah, I have my favorite is the tomato. It's the uh, it's called the Mater Dust. Man, it is it is really good, really good. Um, why why could why would you? These are questions I got from a few people. So your your thought process is to take like a Mountain House or take a Peaks, and you're just taking half of that, and you're pouring the Tater Dust on top of that as the supplement, and then you're supplementing with the drinks, you know, a couple times a day. Is that the thought process behind it? That's how I use it as well, mainly. But uh, there are some meals that you'll find uh, go well with a Mater Dust, and others that are kind of uh, like 
I'm not a fan of the uh, of white sauces in Mater Dust. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a red sauce in Mater Dust personally. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, I feel like the these are just starter flavors to get us proof of concept, you know, proof of theory. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to deliver these nutrients in a palatable form, that was a super huge challenge. And we had a plethora of, of options to go with uh, which flavors. We could have done ginger, you know, you the cotton candy. I mean, there's so many crazy choices out there. So we just kept it simple that complemented foods that we all already choose off the shelves. Whether yeah, we, we probably started off with about 20 flavors at the get-go. And we worked with this company, uh, Matson is the name of the company in uh, Silicon Valley. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think they were very happy, but it was a frustrating process trying to find the right flavors because these individualized amino acids, they, take, they taste like a, um, I don't know, they're, they're almost like if you just try to consume them by themselves, it would be like chewing aluminum foil or, <laughs> you know, metal or something like they're very, like, almost like a rusted metal aromatic flavor. They're next to virtually impossible to consume uh and unless you block the the flavors unless you block the aromas uh and so that process in and of itself of trying to figure out how we can mask them or how we can mask their aroma and their um their flavor that's one of the reasons why you don't see it on the market very much um and if you do you, you'll see the branch chains like the leucine isoleucine and valine um but you know some of the some of the other essential amino acids their flavors or their aromas even worse and so that's why you only see the bcaa sometimes are you hearing my spaniels barking in the background yep no problem no uh, problem yeah they probably saw a, a squirrel run across the yard or something <laughs> like that and went bananas but um but yeah that's that's part of the i mean some people might ask well why aren't other products using this because it's darn difficult to develop, uh, you know, these three SKUs or uh, stock keeping units that we have, they're, they were they were not easy to come up with. Um, and it wasn't just Larry and I working on it. It was some of the best and brightest in food science that developed these. So there's more flavors to come. Is that what I'm hearing? We got, we've got some, some other stuff in the bullpen, that's for sure. So to the, to the critic out there saying, well, what if I just take a multivitamin pill, some whey protein with me, and some essential amino acid powder and put that in there? Why would that be different from what you guys are making? You won't be able to consume it. Too much? <laughs> It'll make, it, you wouldn't like it. it. It would not taste good. In fact, if they would like to try that, I'll send them just that without the, <laughs> without the flavoring, and they'd be okay. Good point. Yeah, it's 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 going to be hard to. Uh, it's the formula, the specific, the the specific formula that he chose targeted. It basically is turning the lights on the muscles that we that we use in the specific muscles that we engage uh, with continuous movement. And that's in itself is going to be hard to replicate. And then to get it in a one ounce powder, um, yeah, let's just say minima square is going to be an interesting development. Uh, again, this proof of concept, we, our first run production, we're super proud of, um, but we're going to use a lot of this for our scientific studies to support our patent. Um, so, you know, we don't have a tremendous amount to go a full bore marketing program for for Minimus right now because we don't have the product to mm-hmm. to give. We've got a really small first run. Yeah, I, I touched on the the flavoring aspect of it, Ryan. But the other other thing too is the profile of the amino acids. And so, you know, it's I guess the best analogy to use is that. And Larry talked about this a little bit, made me think about it. Um, you know, when it comes to the remodeling of the muscle in response to physical stress or in response to backcountry hunting, it's looking for a precise profile of essential amino acids. In other words, not not all the same amount across the board, but specific ratios or specific balance of of essential amino acids. It's it's kind of like if your if your wife or significant other sent you to the grocery store to buy the things that you needed for a cake and you just came back with a you know this gross assimilation of the ingredients and you know, I don't know, 50 pounds of flour and 
you know, only two ounces of sugar. She'd send you back and say, hey, you brought the wrong you brought the wrong profile. You brought the, the, the wrong uh, amounts of the ingredients. And so this profile of essential amino acids, even just by the, them by them by themselves, um, that profile is very specific and very well targeted to to maximize muscle remodeling, even though the total amount is less than what you'd need for intact protein. Gotcha. On, on like the tater dust, when you're making those, Larry, are you pre-making those, putting it into the mill and then sealing it back up? Or are you just pouring it in while you're making it in the mountains? Oh, I usually keep it. So the one thing to consider if I – let me let me rephrase your question to make sure that I have it right. Um, mixing it in pre yeah. – ahead of time or just keeping the pouches and taking them to the field correct yeah if i'm in the mountains i'll consider that as long as you can guarantee that there's not going to be any moisture you want to keep it out of reach of moisture because once you're once that i mean there it's an instantized dissolvable product so once the water hits some of that coating on those amino acids will wear off and it's going to change the flavor of that if you if it got wet and sat for 10 15 minutes it would definitely you'd be like oh what's going on here so safely if you want the product to taste like it's supposed to keep it in the pouch and just burn them um i know a lot of people would say well how many how many how many ounces or how many grams do those packages weigh if you added them up it's probably close to uh, you know 15 ounces if you had all of those packages to bring out of the field and you didn't choose to burn them. So I I get the point, Um, but I think it's safe to, but again, it's it's like the quality of the product will taste best if it comes right out of the pouch and into water and consume it soon. Gotcha. And how many, how many times have you had this in the field comparing it to like your standard loadout for food? Do you notice (laughs) any lack of performance? Do you notice any, well, I don't feel as good today or or I feel better with this or vice versa? No. So I've been using it for, this is the third year that I've been using. We started off with, you know, a bunch of samples and, uh, I've been, I'm still using samples from three years ago, but, uh, I typically, the first time I did it, I was a little hesitant. So I had my partner bring extra food, you know, so legit, legitimately the first year we took in the same amount of food. I just didn't consume it, but I had it as reserve if I needed it. Um, so, and, and I was eating about 20 ounces per day comfortably. I still didn't know, we didn't know what that threshold was, like how much weight will you lose and how much muscle will you lose if I'm pushing the limits of how much bulk food I'm eating during the day. Um, but with the formula, if I'm using three doses a day and eating uh, nuts every two hours, you know, nuts and fruit every two hours and a snicker bar in between, and then a ramen or bouillon with, with uh, a mater dust and then half of a mountain house, I'm good to go. 2,100 calories all day long. Um, I'm not losing muscle. I may lose about five pounds depending on how much water I'm drinking and I feel good about it. And my operational standards haven't changed one bit. And everybody's taste is a little different. What's, what are you, what meals do you prefer to mix like the tater dust or the, the, um, the dang names, the mater and tater dust, which ones do you prefer to mix those with? You talked about red sauce with, with the tomato. Are you mixing like the tater dust? Can you do it with like a white sauce or Kind of oh yeah. Oh man. Chicken, any chicken or white uh, sauce meals, the, the potatoes are good. I think Trey likes the beef stroganoff. Don't you with the, with the taters? Yeah. I think the, the beef stroganoff or the beef stew, you know, anything with a meat, with a, with a, with a red meat base is really good with the, with the potatoes. I mean, my wife and I were using uh, just what do you call, like, dried potatoes that you get in a package in the grocery store uh, by themselves and adding those to existing meals for years we were doing that um, and now with tater dust you're not just getting carbohydrate you're getting a full you know full gamut of of nutrients and I, i'll use uh, tater dust like a lunch i'll just eat tater dust and sprinkle some uh, pre-cooked bacon you know mm. just already chip it up in there and um if I had 
any cheese with me, I might eat some of that with it, but it's already got a little cheese in there. So, you know, that's a small meal in and of itself. And, you know, it, it does make you feel full, even though it's a couple hundred calories. Yeah. You'll have the knucklehead that will just try to take this by itself. There's not enough calories in here to sustain you on a multi-day hunt. (laughs) No, Uh, that's a big, be challenging for sure. But, you know, you could, you could, it's designed to where, it not to get too sciencey, but it's designed to where if you're eating on the move, it's not going to slow you down. It's it's not going to be such a burden to your gut that so much of your blood flow is going to be in your GI region. You can keep moving and keep rolling. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we kept the calories relatively low. So an individual could eat it as a standalone option if they're, you know, just sitting down having a quick meal or, you know, or if they wanted to supercharge their existing meal. Um, so it's got some flexibility in that regard. Gotcha. And then the, I don't drink coffee, but do you guys mix, can you mix a cocoa dust in with coffee? You can, I don't like it. You don't like it? No, personally. And it may be just like the Starbucks Vias that I'm using disagree. If it's bitter, you know, it may not, it may not set well with some palates, but some people like it with it. Yeah. Our other managing partner, Brent Ruby, who's a faculty member here at Montana, he loves it. He just absolutely loves it in his coffee. Um, I'm kind of the middle of the road. I'm not a huge fan and I'm, you know, not a big detractor either, but it's personal preference, I think, is what is is what you'll see when it comes to that. What I'm really interested in seeing is when I use whatever, you know, dehydrated meal I'm using is, you know, usually at the end of the day and I don't want to eat it because I'll eat it. And then I just feel bloated and shitty. Yeah. And I, I want to know if cutting that in half and then adding this supplement in, I don't know if you guys call it a supplement or a meal additive or whatever you guys are marketing it as, if that gets away of that bloat, shitty feeling. Did you know, have you guys noticed that? The Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. It's the exclusive app of many of the Rockslide staff, including myself. Some of the features of the Onyx Hunt app are nationwide public and private land boundaries, topographic and 3D maps, track your route, location, and elevation profile, waypoints, lines, and area shapes, save maps for offline use, and create custom map layers. While many of the competitors have similar features, I find one of the biggest benefits in using the Onyx Hunt app is that my friends have it. Nothing more painful than trying to share a waypoint with someone who doesn't have the app. Another thing I've noticed with Onyx, it's pretty much glitch-free. Once you learn how to use the app, you will experience very few, if any, glitches in the app. We find on the Rockslide Forum, the guys that are having glitches with Onyx or any of the apps, they just don't know how to use it. Once you learn how to use Onyx, it will be there for you. Some of the member benefits you get with being with Onyx are top rut draws. They just added that in 2023. Top rut provides some of the most comprehensive draws information in the industry. Onyx is also offering constant upgrades like track trim. When they released that last summer, it really cleaned up my app because I was the guy that would go back to camp with my app on and walk around camp for two hours. And then when I would notice my track, it had these big scribble lines in it. Now you can trim that off. They're constantly offering similar upgrades. So if you're ready to make the jump, head over to onyxmaps.com, use the Rockcast promo code ROCKCAST, R-O-K-C-A-S-T, save yourself 20%. Yeah, and, and you know, to to be frank, your turds will change too for the better. <laughs> you know, whey whey has its has its uh, benefits. It's lightweight, um, but it's intact, and you got to eat a lot of it to get to get all that protein. And your gut, it's not friendly to most guts. So I'm like long term, so you'll notice that your stool changes consistency when you're eating less Mountain House, and you're getting fifty uh, percent fewer nitrates and preservatives and other stuff that you you really your body doesn't shouldn't eat regularly yeah and we put it there's also a, a plant fiber that we put in it's called con conjac glucomannan and it not only improves satiety uh or feelings of fullness uh, not bloating but just a a good feeling pleasurable feeling of fullness um and it also improves your 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 gut metabolism as well 
So, and that's a fancy word for what Larry said. And you, <laughs> your your bathroom experiences will be more pleasant. Um, but yeah, so that that's another constituent of the formulation. A lot of times, fo- folks are focusing on the essential amino acids, and that is critical because it does help us reduce the weight. But the small amount of glucomannan really addresses some of the problems that a lot of people have in the field when they shift to whatever food they're eating at home to 100% or almost 100% dehydrated in their meal, dehydrated meals, and their guts are going, oh my gosh, this is, uh, where did this come from? Hmm. And that that plant fiber helps dampen some of those symptoms and dampen some of those uh, presentations of gastrointestinal distress. These things are, I'm looking at the packaging, these things are just packed full of nutrition. But I had a question from one lady in particular on three things. I said one thing at the start, but she asked why sunflower oil, why fruit crust, and why, I think it's maltodextrin, maltodextrin? Mm -hmm. Why are those three particular things in there? There's scientific evidence, abundant scientific evidence to support uh, the inclusion of those ingredients when it comes to improving endurance performance. And so there's numerous published papers uh, to support the efficacy of those ingredients and, uh, like I say, improving your your functional uh, performance. Um, and I would, you know, I think maybe she's talking about some, uh, some GI-related symptoms that might present uh, based on her experience with cons- consumption of products like that. I think it would be interesting for her or other individuals that have those kinds of uh, symptoms to see whether or not this plant fiber helps put the brakes on some of that. Um, my suspicion is that it would, um, because two things. One, there's evidence to show that this plant fiber is helpful. And another, the other important point is the amount of, of maltodextrin, fructose, and, um, and uh, uh, oleic acid are relatively low. They're not that, they're not that high. In fact, they're, the levels uh, that we have in our product are consistent with being below the threshold of gastrointestinal symptoms. Um, so we're aware of that. that we're aware of the fact that that happens in some people, but the amounts are lower than what typically people or where typically folks have uh, problems. And then the plant fiber itself, I think, will uh, suppress some of those symptoms as well. Yeah. I hope that makes sense. In other words, there's two reasons why I don't think that would be as much a problem. Is there any maximum days you could use this in the field? Like maximum number of days? Yeah. How much money you got in your pocket? (laughs) Dude, the the, uh, second year I took my dog and she was 14 at the time and I doubled my, you know, I doubled my dose. I mean, if you had to buy that, it's an extra 150 bucks, you know, for a 10 day supply of tater dust for Mm -hmm. uh, Chachi and yeah, made her, got it through one more year, man. Your dog's name's Chachi. I love it. <laughs> uh, and did I miss, I'm going to ask a few more questions about your backcountry study. Did I miss anything on the minimus nutrition that you guys wanted to cover? Well, one of the things I was thinking about as we were having this discussion, you know, I briefly made mention of this company that we started 2013. It was really focused on, uh, uh, particular disease processes. And that came from my experience when I was at, at Arkansas, you know, working, w- really working in a clinical department, not an academic department. And so we were trying to solve some problems that were producing, being uh, presented in the clinic. And one of the things that, one of the reasons I think why we started thinking about, Larry and I started thinking about um, minimus is that when it comes to sarcopenic obesity, which is muscle loss, uh, and a combination of muscle loss and obesity in older individuals, they they need more protein, but it's a conundrum because they need less calories. And so we developed this uh, formulation or meal replacement for those individuals where they could consume a minimal amount of calories, enough to to keep their muscles fed, but actually lose weight. And so we didn't use utilize the same exact formula for minimus because in the folks, the backcountry hunters, they're active. And so activity in and of itself promotes muscle remodeling. And so we changed the formula, the amino acid formula a little bit 
for that particular circumstance. But to some to some extent, that that was in that that or minimus was somewhat informed by the early studies with individuals with sarcopenic obesity. So kind of a worst case scenario, like an individual that really, and we're not talking about a little bit overweight, but considerably overweight, very unfit and losing, you know, losing uh, muscle uh, and figured out how to help them keep their muscle. And so we re-engineered, I guess, uh, based on re-engineer or part of the re-engineering that led to minimus what came from the initial work that we did in those disease populations i hope that makes some sense it's a little bit complicated but it's not like we just went boom i think we'll make an amino acid formula we had learned <laughs> a lot over 10 years of working with those particular uh cohorts uh, and we were able to use some of that information to inform the development of minimus larry anything to add <laughs> yeah, not really, except that, you know, Industry Imperium is the is the LLC that we formed to sort of move the machine of Minimus through, you know, so we're basically a company with a product, you know, mm -hmm. but we we formed the company to sort of make a um, conglomerate of the science that we've been collecting and use a consortium of that data to produce a product like Minimus. And it's interesting that we're, um, well, I, I don't know, Trey, can we talk about the, where we're, what we're trying to do with Minimus squared and the Sibber, or do you want to just not discuss that now and talk about it when we, when it's further down the road? Well, I, I think we can, we can touch on it a little bit. Give the, us the, the goods, boys. Uh -huh. Give us the goods. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, you know, we, we, talked about to give a little try to make it just a little bit of background because i don't want to bore our users with it but you know there's a story behind so many of these things and you know the backcountry hunting studies that we developed and you know and published those we started working with the air force and the army and now uh those backcountry hunting studies were were uh, we've been funded by the army research lab to study sex specific differences in muscle protein metabolism metabolism during those uh, actual backcountry hunting events because they, they serve as somewhat of a surrogate model of operational stress. And so in conjunction with that, we received some federal funding for that. And then the next thing you know, we got tapped on the shoulder. Hey, you should apply for this. Uh, you should put in a proposal to develop, um, further develop your minimus product, but, but just maybe primarily focus on the essential amino acids. And so we received a, a grant from uh, National Security Innovation Network to do just that. And we partnered with this company in California to develop these micro-encapsulated essential amino acids. And so micro-encapsulation, you, you could use the analogy of like the, coat, the, the shell of an egg, right? Hmm. You, it, it protects the, the yolk and the, 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 the constituents of the egg itself. But yet, In when you look case, at it, yes. you, you can't. Yeah, you can't see it, you can't taste it, you can't smell it. Same kind of thing with a microencapsulation of essential amino acids. You can't taste it, you can't smell it, and individuals can ingest that, and they don't get that undesirable taste. They also, um, this, they're very shelf stable without microencapsulation, so they can be stored for long periods of time without degrading. Very very important for military applications. And so we were able, we've been able to develop basically a prototype that we call Minima Squared that you can literally mix it up in water, Ryan, three to four times as much as what we've, what we have in some of the, the initial Minimus formulations. And so you could have used that Minima Squared uh, conceivably in almost any food product regardless of what, you know, like what you mentioned, tater dust probably doesn't go very well. Well, mater dust probably doesn't go well with a white sauce type meal, right? So you've got these flavor uh, issues that you have to kind of dance around or whatever. But with minimum squared, you just increase the amount of essential amino acids based on whatever you think or whatever the literature says that you might need. And there's no, there's no off-putting taste to it. There's no problems with shelf stability, 
And there's even the possibility of delayed release of those essential amino acids once you ingest them. So a person could take in like 30 grams and then almost not have to worry about protein intake the rest of the day. Is this a tablet, pill, powder? How is it put, how you put it into the water? It's a powder. Gotcha. And it, it, it uh, mixes up just as quickly, if not more so, uh, than the current, than the existing minimus. Is there any like studies out there on performance from, you know, in, endurance athletes, you know, or I say 11 Bravos when they're doing their rucking and they're doing their movements as an endurance athlete, is there any studies that support when you put these EA, you know, these essential amino acids in that the performance is this much better? I know it's probably specific to the individual, but there is there any studies that prove that out? Yeah, there, there, there are from not, not exactly the same formulation as what we have, but very, very, maybe somewhat similar. And the, the, the number one thing is they show maybe increased rates of protein synthesis compared to uh, an identical amount of whey protein. Like if you ingest 10 grams of essentials and 10 grams of whey protein in the same group of individuals that repeat those studies, um, then you'll get more protein synthesis with the EAA ingestion. And that doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily lead to performance gains um, when it comes to circumstances like backcountry hunting. But what you can do is reduce your food kit weight. Oh, gotcha, um, gotcha. And the other thing is most of the studies when it comes to, this is a really important point, most of the studies when it comes to comparing essential amino acids to intact protein are uh, consistent with gains, strength gains or resistance training or something like that. So it's not day after day chronic physical stress. It's more mm -hmm. of can I increase my bench, bench press max you know, by uh, another 5% or whatever. And they have been shown to be very effective in that regard. But there's not there's not a whole lot of data out there on uh, essential amino acids and chronic physical stress. So the, the deal is in the name Minimus. You know, anytime you get lighter, you get faster. So that's the whole encompassing thing. I'm getting it. Yeah, and following up on your question, that's one of the things over the next year that we're, we're, we're going to be doing uh, – we're designing and we're going to be completing a study that's going to answer your question in a very comprehensive way. Now, this is way over my head, but what you talked about protein synthesis. Um, so if a guy's taking the correct amino acid, but he's not getting enough protein, are they stealing that from the muscle? Is that how that works? Am I making any sense there? Like, well, so well, Go ahead. Your gut, your gut produces proteins as well. A lot of people, you know, aren't aware of that. But um, you know, Trey could speak into the the metabolism. But the what your question was are the, if they Basically, are not getting enough. Yeah, if they're just taking amino acids, but they're not getting the protein. Like you guys have four grams and like the tater dust. But he he said the protein part of it because I'm imagining the protein, as you guys said, relates to endurance as well, you know? So is that, I don't know if I'm making any sense because this is way above my head, but if you are taking in those amino acids, but you don't have the protein input from your food, where is it pulling that protein from? Well, you're, you get some with chronic physical stress, you get some amino acids that are gut derived. And so there's published studies in the, in the late nineties that show that, some of this plant protein that we talked about uh, may in and of itself increase uh, the, the synthesis of essential amino acids from the gut as well. Um, the other thing, Ryan, that I think is really important to mention is when it comes to protein synthesis, it can be stimulated one of two ways. One is mechanical stress or what we think about is just typically getting out and running or hiking or rucking or whatever. Um, that causes mechanical stress to the muscles, and that increases protein synthesis. Um, it, if you have nutrients available, then it, it may improve that rate of protein synthesis. And so you remember me talking about the, and the individuals that are old and obese and sarcopenic. You know, that mechanical stimulation is completely absent. It doesn't really exist at all because those individuals are, you know, they're debilitated. Where on this particular case, you've got both – both uh, you got two stimulants. One is one is stress, physical stress, and one is nutrient availability. Um, and both of those 
can simultaneously increase protein synthesis. And then diving into a little bit deeper on that, when it comes to muscle protein synthesis, it's not all going towards uh, contractile uh, function. In other words, it's not all going towards making my muscle bigger. Um, Part of that is making more mitochondria to oxidize the fats. Um, and a lot of a lot of times people don't think about that. And I'm sorry if I'm going a little too deep into the science, but the devil is in the details, right? And so it's not only important in terms of my recovery and my resilience. It's not only important for me to be able to contract my muscle, but also feed my muscle with energy. And that mechanical and nutrient of mechanical stress and nutrient availability is is very very important and in that regard and having the right profile of essential amino acids to do that in the most efficient manner is also important. Yeah, that pretty much answered my question. All right. Anything else on the minimum nutrition? That's it. Okay. I got a kind of a question that comes up on the boards and you guys have a whole bunch of principles of training. So I got to throw one at you to see what your, uh, your remedy is. You're a 45 year old guy. You're in average shape. You figure out in April, you have a sheep hunt in September. What specific training, and and I want to go into also what, you know, are you rucking? What specific training and how many rest days are you putting in there from, from not only like your cardio days, but also your, your weightlifting or weight training or weight resistant days? What would that four month, five months look like in training? Well, the at 45 years old or 35 the uh, you know i i learned from you know i was an infantry med my background is infantry medic so anywhere we rucked you know i had an extra 30 pounds right so by the time i got out of the army 12 years my back was shot man so my training regiment from 28 29 years old was to uh, conserve or preserve what uh, what strength and um you know uh re- you know athleticism that i have in my core uh, strengthen that for the rest of my life because knowing that when i'm now i'm 51 this year um i'm feeling the injuries that i've had you know in my early 20s so my training regiment today is exactly what it has been for 15 years and it 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 starts in the winter. And if, if you have a chance to stay in shape, if you put in for a draw, you did that in the winter. That's when you start getting in shape. You know, that's when you, you shed the pounds that you need to, if you've got winter sports, skiing is probably one of the the best things that you could do for your upper body. Um, not to mention push-ups and setups as many as you could do every day for the rest of your life. If you just did that, you wouldn't need a gym. Uh, push-ups and setups. I usually do 50 in the morning, 50 at night for push-ups, um, 200 setups, 300 setups a day, and that's been a 25-year regimen. So staying in shape is is key. Losing weight that you don't need. But um, if I were in April saying shit, this tag is coming up, man, I got to get in shape. Walk as many miles a day as you can as you can walk if you can afford an hour hour and a half use that time to walk without a load just walk and do your push-ups and setups do that all summer long and then on days that you can run or bike and really stretch your cardio do that three to four days a week give yourself uh, you know a day or two a week rest pushing yourself hard on those days that you do your cardio whether you're running or biking uh, or paddling um, that'll be plenty and the load carriage thing, you know, the, there's a lot of uh, personal experience to say the the load, the rucking to get your body in shape for carrying a 50 or 60 pound pack. Um, if you can train yourself to carry a 30 pound pack for 10 miles on a walk, uh, don't push it to 60 pounds, you know, or 100 pounds, whatever your load will be. Um, just you, the trip for me is making my muscles n- remember what it feels like to walk 10 miles in one day. And if you only have to walk six mountain miles, your muscles still feel good because they know what a 10 mile distance feels like. And your joints have to know that pain as well. And I think that is uh, like resistance exercises and just walking long distances is your best bet. Yeah. And I think, I think what Larry is, um, talking about ryan is just really very consistent with 
training principles of uh, specificity and overload. Um, these are things that, you know, you can look up the, the Strength Conditioning Association, put these out years ago. I mean, way back when I was in graduate school. And and what Larry's talking about with, in terms of carrying a load or walking, most of what you do when you're backcountry hunting is walking and carrying a load, right? You're not you're not lifting, you're not deadlifting 400 pounds or anything like that. And so the further you get away from what you're going to be doing in the field, the less specific it is to your objective. And then also with that, trying to provide some degree of overload on, or, you know, if, if you're already walking five miles a day or whatever with no ruck or no, you know, no load, then, um, and you expect to carry a 50 pound pack on your sheep hunt, well, guess what? You better get specific about your objective and increase your overload so that you'll be ready when you get there. And, you know, I, you heard my spaniels barking in the background a few minutes ago. You know, I made a conscious decision about five years ago after having labs and you know, I did mostly uh, in Labrador retrievers, that is. Um, did a lot of waterfowl hunting when I was living back in Arkansas. And I just started thinking, I'm in my 50s. I need something that's going to motivate me to get my butt outside in Fairbanks when it's freezing cold. <laughs> and if I've got a dog looking at me like, hey, let's go, we got to do something. And sure enough, you know, that that dog is, you know, even just to get out and walk an hour or two every day, whether it's with a load or not, that's become part of now I have two of them. Mm -hmm. So that's part of my lifestyle. I'm getting, you know, probably 700 to 1,000 miles a week or 1,000 miles a day uh, year just walking because of those dogs independent of any training objective I might have so it might sound a little bit silly you know but you add that up over a five-year period that's a lot of activity that I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have got, been able to have uh, otherwise and I guess to some extent you just have to find ways to motivate yourself to to apply those training principles to whatever objective it might be man I like that super that's pretty dang simple push and yeah. pull and do some sit-ups and walk a lot that's it man i got well one. you'll have a hard time keeping up with larry i can tell you that he's like jesus in the back country <laughs> <laughs> i got one more question this is somebody i knew i was coming on with you guys is how much protein you know doing this exercise regiment you're talking about larry which is pretty simple how much protein for your body weight do you need a day and do you need to amp up that protein while you're in the field hiking and hunting <laughs> That's I usually target. <clears throat> so if you the 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 if you read all science uh, recommendations, you you'll come up with a figure or hear a common figure of one gram of protein per kilogram of body weight per day uh, for an active individual. Um, we've been able to show. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say do this, but you can push the limit to like 0.8 grams per day. Uh, in my from my experience and not lose muscle mass and that puts me in the realm of anything over 70 grams now that's 70 grams of intact protein or a combination of some eeas that are perhaps without minimus you need about 70 to 80 grams per day now if i was wanting to have a situation of hypertrophy where i'm going to the gym i'm starting to look like you like i'm buffed I've got my arms pumped. I'm like 19-inch biceps. You're going to need about two grams per kilogram per day of protein to gotcha. reach that target. My gotcha. target is muscle maintenance and performance enhancement by staying fit and keeping the muscle metabolism in the right spectrum. Like I'm not trying to, to gain muscle mass. I'm just trying to keep the muscle that I have. So my target is about 0.8 kilograms per day. Um, even during the, like my field diet and my regular diet is pretty much the same. Instead of like eating salmon, I'll have minimus in the field. You know what I mean? Um, so, but it's also important to have as much plant derived protein, in my opinion, less red meat. Um, if you looked at my full spectrum of the last 15 or 20 years diet, you would see probably 60% plant protein and 60, 65 maybe, and 30% red meat sources. 
Um, and that surprised me when I really started to look at my diet and what are my nutrients in a day. So it's it's it has actually improved my regularity, you know, mm-hmm. my bowel regularity. And uh, I'm tired, bro. Wake up in the morning, cup of coffee, get a chew. It's on, baby. You know, every morning, the same time. And it's uh, it's good. Keeps me healthy, man. That's a lot of fucking broccoli. Yeah, man. A lot of nuts, too. Whew. Robert, you're the a same. Nuts, you have a lot a, of spinach. A lot of spinach, I imagine. Man, that's a plant. Why, just real quick, why plant over meat? base protein because it's because it's easier your body processes it easier and it, it takes it less energy to uh break down the proteins in plants than it does a red meat source and you're taking no way you're not taking no protein supplement outside of minimus no no i i'm a i am an in fact i i've never tasted mountain ops you know i know a lot of people you would think that i've tried everything on the market i don't do bcaas i don't do whey um the only way i'll I do is in the field with mountain, you know, with a uh, dehydrated meals. It's often mm-hmm. way um, met Rex bars, you know, that's way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, they're intact proteins. My gut does fine with way. So I, I can push the limits, but I, I just prefer to, to do like healthy, you know, the healthy nutrients and not the stuff and just protein sources like whey and BCAA powders. Yeah, I think people would be, a lot of folks, if they're eating a variety of foods, they would be surprised how much protein they're actually getting from plants. Hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of folks, they, they just don't think about plant protein unless it's got a label on it saying, hey, I'm plant protein. They don't, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily think about it. And, and for those of us that are backcountry hunters and somewhat successful, we've got the best sources of meat protein also it's not and it's not just the amino acid profiles it's also the um the fatty acids that are in uh free range uh well just grass-fed beef compared to feedlot beef the the fatty acid profiles are very 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 different um and more healthy i might add um and in fact you know my wife who did finished her phd up in natural resources and sustainability at uaf did a specific study comparing free-range reindeer to feedlot beef and was able to demonstrate that if you give the same amount in terms of mass or in terms of weight, that uh, the free-range reindeer promotes higher levels of muscle protein synthesis. Um, And largely because the amino acid profiles are just more anabolic. Um, And one thing I want to go back real quickly, Ryan, if I may, um, a lot of folks may kind of get a little bit confused about when we talk about resistance training, we talk about uh, endurance training or training specific for backcountry hunting is more likely to be endurance and orientation. I think the thing to think about is just if you're building a house or versus remodeling a house, you're going to need different equipment or you're going to need different materials. And so if you're building a house or adding to a house, then you're going to need more raw materials, right? Whereas remodeling a house or trying to make it more efficient it's a much, much different process. And so I think if people think about that, think about that, it that way when it comes to muscle or feeding the muscle, that might make a little bit more sense. In other words, if you're trying to make the muscle bigger, well, yeah, you've got to give it more material. But if you're just trying to remodel it in a way that it continue to function and provide the fuel strut substrate that it needs, it's more of an efficiency equation than just a mass action effect. But neither one of you subscribe to that you need more protein while you're doing the endurance event. No, you just need enough. Okay. You just need enough. In fact, there's a figure in that latest uh, backcountry hunting paper that shows that, you know, as long as you stay above, and Larry mentioned this, as long as you stay above really 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8 grams per kilogram of protein, that you know, if anything, you're going to maintain, if not gain, lean tissue mass. In fact, most, really, most of the individuals in our study, even even in spite of being in the caloric de- deficit, they gain some lean tissue mass over the course of the of the hunting e- expedition. But if you fall below like 0.7, that's where it falls off the table. Uh, there's a there's a requisite amount, and we're talking about intact protein. We're not talking about minimus. If the individuals were getting essential amino acids, then they could dial that back even more. In other words, probably get away with less uh, uh, amino acid intake over the course of the day. 
and but frankly, that's a note of future study that I want to see happen is I want to know what that threshold is using essential amino acids. What is the lowest amount of protein you can take without and still maintain that lean mass? I'll fund that study in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, theoretically, we would expect that to be about half or maybe even lower. Um, incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, I really enjoyed the conversation. I want to have, once we get more feedback on the Minimus products, probably midsummer, late summer, if you guys are game. I know hunting season kicks off for you guys early over up there in Alaska, but I'd like to have you guys back on board and kind of have somebody that's used it a ton and kind of 20 question you guys. So you guys can, you can, you can go to minimusnutrition.com to learn more about Minimus. And guys, anywhere else you want people to stock you at? Oh, that's Come good, visit man. us in Montana. That'd be great. Oh, I drew a Montana elk and deer tag. I'll be over there this year. Oh, good. Well, we're in Stevensville, just south of Missoula. So, um, yeah, we'd welcome people to come, you know, look us up and, you know, give us a tour of the research facility here and, you know, just, just meet up and ask them what they're, you know, what the problems that they might be having and how we might be able to solve some of those. Yeah, I'm just in Coeur d'Alene. I'm not too far from you. Uh, oh, cool. Yep. Larry, anything else? Pristine Adventures? Check it out. Buy some tag bags. Buy some tag bags from Rockslide. Of course, not Larry, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt, man. Rafts are in stock. Come get them. Oh, yeah. How's the raft situation? You guys, you imagine you're flying out like hotcakes. Yeah, they, this time of year, man, it is. The phone's ringing for sure. Uh, with This year, you know, last year we got screwed on or, or uh, construction, right? The COVID shortages left uh, advanced composites without enough you know carbon to make ore so all last year all of our stock couldn't move it bro couldn't have road kits so everybody was just paddling all these big these you know crazy rafts and um it was marginal so yeah we're well stocked this year in well, fact we yeah we switched our some of our production elements like our seat slings and uh ore saddles from the lower 48 up here to alaska so airframes alaska is now building those for us so this is the first year we're rocking those those uh new this same design just made for made in alaska so we're proud about that all right well yeah larry robert i really appreciate your time you too brother good to hear from you man yep thanks for coming on. thanks a bunch thanks for coming on